Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Have you ever wondered what it means to be made in the image of God? Uh, If you've read the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, you'll read this account of God creating everything, speaking, and things begin to exist, and eventually he makes people. And it says in the first chapter that he made them, male and female, in his image, that he created Adam and Eve in his image. He created us in his image. And uh, that's a pretty big statement. Uh, it's, it sounds great. Um, but the question is, what does it mean? I, I think it's one of those kind of easy, go-to Christian encouragement kind of lines, like, oh, you're made in the image of God. Someone's feeling down on themselves or... You know, that'd be the type of thing you'd put on like a mug that you want to give someone to encourage them. You're made in God's image. And I, I don't say that in just a cheeky way. I mean, we, uh, we say that to our little daughter, Avra. Talcy has this very eloquent, stitched together, um, I don't know, monologue that she says to Avra whenever she puts her to bed that has a bunch of scripture just kind of sewn together uh, that, you know, God's created good works in advance for her to do and all these things that are true. And one of them is that she's created in God's image. And that's a... It's a cool phrase, but the question is, what does it mean? I mean, does it mean that we look like God? This is what God looks like? I mean, when I look in the mirror, I certainly hope that that's not what God looks like. It'd be a little bit of a disappointment for all of us when we meet him. Are, are we perfect, sinless like God? Well, that can't be it. Do we have all the abilities? Can we create like God creates? That can't be it. So the question is, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And uh, that's a big question, and I'm not going to answer it this morning because, quite frankly, uh, I can't. I don't really know what it means. I mean, I think we can gather a few ideas from Scripture, but I don't know if I think it's really laid out that well. Uh, However, with where we're going with the text this morning, I want us to kind of lean into the idea a little bit and glean a little bit from there and see uh, if that might invoke some images in our mind of what it means to interact with the gospel and be a follower of Jesus. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're in Mark 12, uh, verses 1 to 27. Uh, it's three sections in there. We're going to be taking section 2 and 3 and working through that. And we have a special treat this morning for the first section. Uh, if you guys know Jaden Bame, he's uh, been going to Bible college out in uh, Vancouver area for two years. He's studying to become a pastor because that's what all the cool kids are doing. And um, and uh, he's, so what he's doing this summer is he's working part-time here as an intern at FBC, and uh, he has some different assignments and, uh, I don't know, requirements for his internship. One is to lead communion, so uh, this morning he's going to finish us off by leading communion and working us through the parable at the front end of the chapter there. Uh, it's a good way to pawn off some of my sermon on someone else, so I had to do less prep work this week, so it uh, worked out really well. Uh, he's going to do an awesome job, and um, I know, because we're a very encouraging place that loves young upcoming leaders, that you guys will all let him know that you appreciated it and think he did an awesome job after service, unless he doesn't do an awesome job, 
then some constructive feedback is welcome. But um, no pressure. Just do a good job, Jaden. Okay. Uh, this, this, uh, this passage this morning we're going to be working through, I love it because what it is is it's basically just a whole bunch of questions. And this first stood out to me when I was making my slides that it's a ton of questions going on here. And the reason I noticed it at first is because uh, for these slides for the series, we've been using this, this is like really obscure, but we've been using this font called Century Gothic. Really nice font. Props to whoever designed it. However, uh, the question mark that they designed as part of the font set, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go home, Century Gothic, type a question mark, has to be unbolded. And you'll see it's like a backwards S on top of a period. It's like at the end of the font, they're like, oh, we forgot a question mark, just flip one of the letters and throw it, you know, it's awful. So uh, I went through and changed them all to Arial, but the point of that is, uh, well, besides my OCD, is that um, there are all these questions throughout. Jesus is getting questioned by some of his opponents. We see that a lot through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, But in this context, he actually fires some questions back, and I love it. I, I love questions. If you know me, I question everything. If you tell me something, we're going to do this, we believe this, this is true, this is what's up, what you'll hear from me is questions. Why? What do you mean? Explain that more. Uh, You know, I want to, I I don't just want to hear something like, oh, okay, I want to know why, what what makes that work. In fact, I'm taking off today for a mod week at Briarcrest, a theology class, and my prof, this guy doesn't know me yet, so he's not prepped yet, but my profs who know me know that they need to schedule some extra time in class just for like all the questions uh, that come from Ryan, and so uh, I love this. Uh, These are kind of different questions than probably the ones I usually ask, but what we're going to see, like I said, is two different times, some of Jesus' opponents coming and asking him questions, and then him uh, asking some questions back and teaching us something really valuable. So let's, uh, let's hop into verse 13 here of chapter 12. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. So again, we see that, you know, these aren't just random people that have shown up, but there's kind of a delegation. It's like, hey, Pharisees, Herodians, let's get a group together. Go, go trip up Jesus. And, and this is what this makes me think of. So I, I mean, I hope no one hates on me for this, but I'm a bit of a Jordan Peterson fan, if you know Jordan Peterson. I don't agree with everything he says, but I think he's a really smart guy. He's this Canadian psychologist, if you don't know him. Um, now, he's, I guess he's basically kind of a political voice now. If you don't like him, that's okay. We can still be friends. Uh, we can agree on the Jesus thing. But what happens with Jordan Peterson is he's become pretty... Um, He's become pretty well-known. So he tours around, does interviews, and does debates, and he talks. And at the end of these debates, always, and these are like the most YouTube-viewed things, people come up and ask questions. And a lot of the times what it is is it's people who are his opponents who are asking these questions to try to trip him up. So there are people like, that are different than Jordan Peterson that are doing this too, but he's just my example for now. But they ask a question, and I think the way we view argumentation in our world is we think that other people are more easily swayed than we are. Like, you know, if I can just pick this one thing apart, they'll just like totally side with me on everything, even though we would never do that. But um, I, I think they, they view someone's argumentation as like this Jenga tower that's kind of intricate. And like, if I can just find that one Jenga piece, right? Pop that out, whole thing comes crashing down. Um, the most viewed, the most popular uh, Jordan Peterson videos or videos like that are the ones where he just owns them. You know, Jordan Peterson owns or Jordan Peterson destroys. I'm sure if you're like me, you love watching these videos where people just destroy people. I, maybe that's like really sadistic, but uh, these videos where someone comes up and asks a question, he just owns them. He just like totally beats them in this debate. And this is what we're going to see Jesus do much better than Jordan Peterson or anybody like him ever could do. 
So they come up to him to try to trap him in his words, to catch him. They came to him and said, and they started really nice. Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Oh, this is really nice. Like, at this point, it's like, oh, these guys are Jesus' friends. Then they say, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? This is a really good question. This is like top notch. This is one of the best questions that the Pharisees ask to try to trip Jesus up. So for those of you who don't know or, or maybe need a bit of a refresher, what's going on is Israel's lived in captivity for a long time at this point. In the first century, they've been imperialized for a long time. They got taken out by Babylon, then they just kind of shifted ownership to Persia, and then they, now they're owned by the Romans who are kind of taking over the world. Um, they're, they're kind of just like this like <laughs> publicly traded company that just keeps getting sold to different entities or whatever. And so now they're owned by the Romans, and they hate that. For Jews, their religion, Judaism, was, was a really nationalistic one. It, it was tied a lot to what was going on in their nation. If they were free, if they were doing well, a lot of that had to do with how they viewed and perceived their relationship with God. So to be in captivity and to be paying tax to, your, uh, to, to the country that's imperialized you is painful. They, they, they hate, this is one of the most like, this is like salt on the wound. It's like, yeah, we're owned by another nation. Now we have, to, we have to pay property tax for our land to another country. They hate this. This is a, this is a big deal for them. So the Pharisees, they know, they, they say, if we ask Jesus this question, if he says, yes, pay the tax, I'm all for the tax, then the Jewish people will hate Jesus and they'll disband. But if he says, don't pay the tax, now he's speaking treason. He's like an enemy of Rome. And if you know anything about history, you do not want to make enemies with the Caesar of Rome. You know, that's a, this is not a good place to be. There's really no place worse than for Caesar to be your enemy. So they ask him this question, hard question. And they've got him for sure. Jesus is trapped. So we'll read on. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He, he saw through the nice words they said. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius, a coin, and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Uh, I went on eBay and actually like, bid on an auction for like, an, an ancient Roman denarius, because I thought it'd be really cool if I could like, hold one while I'm saying this. I lost the auction, and then I lost the motivation to enter more auctions. So just imagine me holding the, the denarius that I, uh, that I bid on and lost. Sorry about that. Whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And the video went viral. And they were amazed at him. They're amazed at his response. Jesus owns these Pharisees and these, these Herodians. He, says, he takes this coin, he says, well, who, whose image is on this? They say Caesar's, that means king, that's the Roman emperor. At this time, it's this guy named Tiberius. So what happens is Tiberius is, is ruling the Roman Empire, which is just kind of like the whole world at this point. And they make money, and when they make money, what happens is they stamp it, they mold it with his face on it, maybe his slogan if he wants it, his name. And so when you hold a coin, it's like this belongs to Caesar, Emperor Tiberius. This is his, it has his image emblazoned on it. Like, it's his. And this makes me think about how that's the same for us. 
When God created us, he didn't just create us and say, well, there you go, here's some people, and here I am over. He, he, he makes us, and he puts this mark, this image, this seal on us. He stamps himself on us. He says, this is mine. This is my child. This is my precious creation that I love so much. Puts his inscription on us. What a travesty it would be for Jewish people who hate to pay this imperial tax when the tax collectors come to their house to go get the tax money and give it to them and then say, wait, 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 hold on. I've got to be able to give you more. Go into the house, find some more money, maybe grab their flat screen TV, bring out, be like, here, you want some more stuff? You want one of my kids? You want some, can I come volunteer uh, collecting tax? Can I give more of my time, more of who I am to this imperialized tax? That would never happen. What a, what a shame that would be for, for them to give more of themselves to their oppressor than what is required. Yet so often, I think that that's what we do. Jesus says, give to Caesars what Caesars. If it's his, if it's got his image on it, give it to him. If it's got God's image on it, if it's you, give it to him. But how often do we give to Caesar what is Caesar's? How often do we take our life and we look at the, the culture, the sin in this world that, that, that surrounds us, what, what the world says, this is what you should pursue, and we devote ourselves to that and we give ourselves, that which is marked in the image of God, away to that which is not honoring to God at all. I mean, if someone looks at your life, do they, do they see the image of God and say, that is someone who's created in God's image and continues to devote themselves to God? Or do we just chase the same things everyone else chases? Money, power, influence, comfort, popularity. I, I don't know, whatever it is. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's it. Just, just, if it belongs to him, live here peacefully on this earth, but understand that you are marked with the image of God and give that to We're going to come back to that in, in a bit. This next interaction, what we're going to see is a new group comes up. So Jesus shuts down the Pharisees and the Herodians, and this new group called the Sadducees comes up. I've referenced this before. The Pharisees and the Herodians team up a bunch in the Gospel of Mark, which is strange because uh, Herodians are what are called Hellenistic Jews, and what that means is they've taken Judaism, and they've taken like Greek and Roman culture and thought, and they've uh, according to the Pharisees, infected Judaism. They've infected their religion with this cultural thought. And, and the Pharisees don't like that. Like these, are, these guys don't hang out and worship God together. They're not friends. However, they're in this real like enemy of my enemy type thing. Like you hate Jesus, we hate Jesus, let's team up and do this. There was this third group come in and I imagine the person back to like the, kind of the Jordan Peterson image, they're standing in line for the mic and they see the person before them get owned and they're like, you know, what an idiot, I've got this. The Sadducees were kind of more elite. They were the richer Jewish teachers. They were the ones that uh, ran the Sanhedrin, the Jewish teaching council. These are, they're kind of like, I mean like Pope of like Judaism in the first century type status. These guys, these guys kind of ran it. And something you need to know about Sadducees is they, they were, Everything to them was what we call the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. These teachings circling around the life of Moses was, was central to them. That was everything. And another thing you need to know is that they don't believe in the resurrection. So we're going to see them come and challenge Jesus because Jesus is talking about eternal life. He's talking about us being resurrected one day, and they're going to step in and they're going to challenge him on that, and, and they're going to talk about uh, the book of the law, the Torah. So check this out. Then the Sadducees, verse 18, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us, 
that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So in the Mosaic law, there's this rule that if, if you're a dude and you have a brother who has a wife and uh, he dies, there are no kids, then you marry your brother's widow. You marry your dead brother's wife. Some of you are like, oh, gross. I would never want to marry my sister-in-law. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, my brother did way better than me, you know? Um, <laughs> keep those thoughts inside your head till the day you die. <laughs> Otherwise, today will be that day. So, okay. So, th- this is one thing I, I love about debates. I, I think a lot of, uh, this has been going on for a long time. We do this a lot. If, there's a, if, there's, if you have an opinion on something, you come up with the most crazy hypothetical you can, right? You're like, this, this will unpack it. So they come up with this crazy hypothetical situation. So here's the law. Guy's brother dies, he has to marry the wife. He, they say, now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. Now I'll hold up for a second there. I'm brother number four. I'm switching religions at this point. I'm like, I don't care what the Mosaic law says. Either this lady is like killing her husbands and collecting life insurance, or she is just bad luck, but I do not want any of this. Um, Anyways, in fact, so they all marry her. None of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? So Sadducees say, Jesus, we hear what you're saying about resurrection and eternal life, but like, have you considered like how much of a Jerry Springer like episode that's going to be? It's like seven dudes, one wife, and they're like fighting over, well, they're either fighting over whose wife she is or they're fighting over, no, I don't want her or whatever, but either way, real mess. You know, it's like, I'm 110% sure I am not the husband kind of situation. And like, this is, a, this is crazy, Jesus. How, how could this be possible? And Jesus drops I th- what I think is one of the most intriguing teachings about eternal life here. Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Pause there for a second. He's talking to the Sadducees. These guys run the Sanhedrin. These guys, these guys, not only have they read the Bible more than anybody in this room, they've memorized the Bible more than anyone in this room. They, they teach it like this is their life. He says, you don't know scripture. And what he's saying there is he's not saying, it's not that you've never read it. It's not that you've never talked about it or heard it, but it's that you're missing the point. You haven't studied it well. You haven't surrendered yourself to the true teachings of Scripture. I think we do that a lot. I think it's easy to be a Sadducee. I remember years ago, I was uh, talking to this boy who, uh, he was probably six or seven, I don't know, he was small, um, at church on a Sunday morning. He said he didn't want to go to FBC Kids. And I said, well, why not? FBC Kids is awesome. It's fun. You get to learn more about God. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, I already know more about God. Which I said, that's actually a logical impossibility to already know more than you know. And so we got into this big philosophical debate. No, I just laughed. I was like, man, like, you know how ridiculous you sound? And then I was like, how often do I do that? You grow up in church? Yeah, I know Noah built the boat. You know, I know about the burning bush. I know, I know about David and Goliath. I've, you know, I, I go on Sundays and I hear the preachers talk about scripture. I read the verse of the day on my Bible app or whatever. I get it. <laughs> more than a Sadducee? I mean, these guys know, these guys have studied scripture. It's so easy for us to arrive at Christianity and at Christian thought and not surrender our hearts and be prepared to change. 
Not, not be prepared to lose the debate with Jesus or God when we read scripture. It's not enough to, when we talk about thinking in and engaging with God, reading scripture isn't like a, a checklist item that you check off and say, there, God, I did it. Reading scripture is saying, God, like I surrender my mind and my heart to you. I want to know truth. I want you to show up and speak to me. This is what the Sadducees were missing. You're in error because you don't know the scriptures of the power of God. When the dead rise, so he's talking about resurrection, eternity. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses and the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Another viral video. So Jesus... He's talking to Sadducees. He knows that they love the Torah, so he quotes the Torah. And he recounts this time when Moses is talking to this burning bush. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are long dead at this point. Really significant people, but they're long dead. And God doesn't say, I was the God of these people. I wasn't the God of... He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the past while they're alive. He says, I am the God of them. Now, and Jesus draws on this, and he says, you are eternal beings, you continue to be in relationship with God or not after this life. It's a beautiful promise. And he unpacks their argument by going to the Torah and saying, eternal life has always been the promise and the future of those who surrender their lives to God and follow him. And he drops this really interesting teaching by saying, you're mistaken. In eternity, you're not going to marry or be married. You're going to be like the angels in their glory. What? What does that mean? And I don't really know what that means. I think we don't have an idea for what eternity means. And this is confusing, but for me, it paints this picture of something pretty grandiose. And I'll draw this by way of comparison. I imagine it like this. If I were to go up to, you know, if I saw like a six-year-old boy playing in a sandbox with his giant Tonka trucks, he's just, he's in heaven, right? He's best best thing he could ever be doing. What could be better than playing with his giant Tonka trucks uh, in the sandbox? If I were to go up to him and say, hey, dude, one day when you're older, you're going to have no desire to play in the sandbox with your Tonka trucks. A lot of 30, 40-year-old guys in the room are like, what? What do you mean? Um, But they say, you're not going to want this. You're not going to want to play in the mud. You're not going to want to get dirty. You're not, you won't care about these plastic trucks. The kids would say, well, you're crazy. If I took it another a step further and I said, in fact, let me tell you about what's going to be one of your favorite things when you get older. One day, you're going to see a woman, and you're going to like her. At this point, the kid's starting to get a little seasick. He's like, oh, this is gross. <laughs> and you're going to foolishly spend money and time and your mind trying to chase after her, making yourself look like an idiot, drooling all over. Like, you know chasing after this woman, and he's like, will I have my Tonka truck with me? Like, you know, we play in the sandbox. Say, no, you won't play in the sandbox, because one day you'll marry that woman, and you know what comes next? If you're sensitive, you can plug your ears right now. You're going to want to be intimate with that. You guys are going to want to, like, have sex. Like, you know, naked, mommy, daddy time. At the point, the kid's, like, puking all over the sandbox. He's like, "This this is disgusting. You know, it's like, it's not that weird. This is where you came from, buddy. But 
if you told this child this, he would be like, well, if you, told, if you tell my child that, I would pro- maybe be a little upset with you for talking to him about that. But uh, if, you, if you told this child this, he'd be like, what are you talking about? I got my Tonka truck. I'm not into that. As an adult, you know, these are some of the best things in life. You fall in love, you experience marriage, intimacy. Who cares about Tonka trucks? Imagine this, Jesus saying, some of the best things you understand about this life, you, you won't even need an eternity because it's going to be that much better. That's, that's pretty interesting that I'm this kid in the sandbox thinking this is so good and Jesus is saying, you have no idea. And this, to me, is an, another thing that makes me think about what it means to bear God's image, to have God's image imprinted on you. Paul writes and he says, you know, you've been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit that not only are you created in God's image, but he puts his seal, his marking, his inscription on you. And it not only shows your life now, but it shows your eternal home, your eternal destiny. But so often, like I said earlier, we, we take that image that we have of God and, and we just devote it to things that aren't of God. We're like, I just want to live my life this way. I, I just want to do this. Forgetting that the ways that we live now reflect God's image, not only now, but for all eternity and will echo for all eternity. God has called us to live for him and reflect his image well to the world around us. So the question I want to ask you this morning and I want to leave you with to ponder this week is you bear God's image. Do you live like it? I mean, you already bear that image. Does your life, if someone comes up to you and says, this person, like, does this person bear God's image and live that way or do they just devote themselves to things of this world? Do they give to Caesar what's Caesar's and that's enough or do they devote themselves to God? Are they generous? Do they live the way that God teaches? Do they surrender their lives to the teaching of scripture? It's not easy. It's easy to want to give to Caesar what belongs to God. But what a foolish waste that is. When I was born, my my dad's from Texas, so when I was born, I was um, given uh, American and Canadian citizenship. So I'm a dual citizen. Sounds pretty cool. What it means in my life right now is that I just have to file taxes in both countries. So it's just an expense. It's kind of like a magazine subscription, but you just don't get the magazines. You know, it's just, uh, just burning money. So um, that's what that does. It's interesting being a dual citizen, you know, kind of feeling like, like I'm a Canadian, but I kind of feel like there's this kind of other part of me that exists somewhere. And Peter talks about this in, in the book of Second Peter. And he talks about how we as Christians have a dual citizenship. How we live here on this earth, but we're actually foreigners here. We kind of sojourn through life and we, we live this existence. And he says we should live that life well. We should obey the law. We should live within the confines of culture. Give to, Caesar's what's, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But that ultimately we should be looking forward to our eternal home. Our, our, our eternity with Jesus in perfection. And that that image, that citizenship, that, that stamp, that seal, that inscription of God should call out to that and that's where our lives should be devoted. I hope this week you'll spend some time wrestling with this question. Do I live like I bear God's image? It's already there. Am I living that or am I choosing to give to Caesar what really belongs to God?
Um, I'm gonna call, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to call him Jaden or Bame because we used to always call him Bame here, but then he went to Bible college and I visited him there and I guess he kind of decided to like reinvent himself there and introduce himself as Jaden to everyone. So it was really confusing when I was calling him Bame. And so it's kind of like a dual citizenship thing anyways, but Jaden or Bame, whatever you want to call him is gonna come up now and I hope you guys will make him feel very welcome by making some noise for him right now. Hello, hello. I prefer uh, sir or master, but that's okay, Ryan. We can work that out after. Um, no, it's always a privilege to be up here. <clears throat> Coming back to you know the, the church that I was raised in my faith in. I remember first times like speaking at youth and speaking here. I used to get all nervous and sweaty and freak out. But now, I just get nervous and sweaty, so you know it's getting better. <laughs> I know I'm going to be working through the, the first part of chapter 12 there, but uh, right before we, we read that together, I just kind of want to set the scene. So uh, last week, Doug preached on chapter 11, and uh, Jesus is just in the temple, and he, he's just cleared the temple courts, and he's speaking to all the religious leaders. Um, so kind of imagine him in the temple. Um, it's kind of the, the week of Passover. And the temple courts are packed with people listening to his teachings. So um, with that in mind, if you can open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 12, verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 12 together. So I think it'll be up there too. Let's start. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, and others they killed. He had one left to send a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will surely respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Um, so just, just a bit of background on this story. Uh, when we read it, it seems kind of crazy, because... The landowner just like keeps sending servants. I, I was talking with Ryan earlier this week, and he's like, yeah, it's kind of like the Bourne movies, like the Jason Bourne movies. I don't know if you guys have seen them. It's like about a spy who loses his memory, and then they send people to kill him and stuff. Um, that's Matt Damon. But you'd think by like the fifth movie, after like all these people have died trying to get Jason Bourne, they'd be like, whoa, whoa, I don't want to go anymore. I saw what happened to Bill in the last movie. He died. And the guy before that, no. 
Just keep sending servants. And Jesus' audience would have understood this story actually quite well. Um, it's pretty common in those times after you know, Rome had come and conquered. People would see the fertile soil of Israel, plant a vineyard there, and then they would rent it out to peasants. So the peasants could just live there and, and eat food. But in return, they would have to be the farmers of the vineyard. So when harvest time came around in, in the form of wine for their payment for the rent, um, the, the master, the, the lord of that vineyard, would send a servant, and the servant would come and pick up his wine as payment, something he could sell and, and do whatever he wanted with. Um, so it, it actually wasn't that uncommon for these peasants to be like, wait, 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 we could make so much more money if we just kept all of the wine for ourselves. We wouldn't even be peasants anymore. And so maybe they, they'd beat out the servant or, or kill him or whatever. So this wasn't an uncommon story. What's, what's really interesting, though, is the allegory he's making uh, towards the history of Israel and of God's interactions with them. See, the, the vineyard is God's people, the people who are in a covenant with him, who belong to him, the tenants, the, the peasants who are renting it. They're like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Jesus, obviously the son, that one's pretty easy to figure out. The servants are the prophets that God has been sending to his people to speak his message. And the master, that's God. I think we can all kind of assume that. And what's interesting about this is, is God has sent these prophets to his people because they're not living to the way that he desires. He wants them to be in relationship with him. You know, the, the religious elite, they're oppressing these people, making up their own rules so that it benefits them. And they're, they're leading people astray. They're not, they're not actually letting them be close to God. What's great is God keeps sending them people. You know, after the first servant, he could just come and be like, okay, well, done. Getting new tenants, killing them. But no, he, he actually loves these tenants. He sends people over and over, even at a personal loss to himself, to the point where his son dies. And when they say, but the, the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Because, because they're assuming, oh, the master, he must be dead, that's why he's sending his son now. And if we kill the son, there's no one else to take the vineyard. It's free real estate. It's ours. And then they take him and they kill him. This is, this is Jesus, right? And it looks like a complete loss for the master. We know the end of the story and we know that it actually isn't, that Jesus is resurrected, that Jesus conquers and is victorious through his death. But to them, it looks like a complete loss. And so Jesus even quotes this passage and he says, the stone the builders rejected, the thing that, that looked like garbage, that relates even more to Jesus' specific situation. Coming from, from heaven, from being exalted, being above all, to be born as a lowly baby. To become nothing. A stone that is rejected has become the cornerstone, the most important part of the building. The starting of the foundation. The strongest piece. 
You know, it looked like a complete and utter loss, especially to his disciples. God actually used for his own victory. And what's crazy is, in this parable, Jesus is actually saying, you know the Messiah, the last messenger from God? That's me. And they're so blind by their anger and the thought of what they might lose, if that's true, that instead of saying, wow, you're right, we, we, we realize this through the scriptures and, and the, all the points you're making and the, and the power that you've come with, instead of that, they get mad. And they, they try to arrest him so that they can kill him or at least shut him up, but they're too scared of the crowds. And I think sometimes it's so easy to be like, man, Pharisees, how are you so dumb? You don't see this? Do you not hear the words that he's speaking? And then I, I think in my own life, and, and how often is my view of God affected by my emotions and my own personal biases? How often am I scared to, to be in relationship and be close to God because of what I might lose and the sacrifice that comes with that? How often do I not want Jesus to be what he says he is? Because then it costs me everything and not just coming to church every Sunday, maybe just Christmas and Easter sometimes. And, and we see that the master, God, has created this plan for redemption. That his son would die so that he can be with his people again. They can be close. That Jesus through his death, is victorious over all. Through his death and resurrection, we're united back to him. And this is, this is what we do. This is what we celebrate when we partake in communion. In the death and resurrection of Jesus. In our reconciliation with the Father. Um, so, as the, as the band and the servers come up, um, let's just take some time to reflect upon that on the impact that Jesus' death has to reflect upon our own relationship with God. Um, so as I come up, let's pray. God, thank you so much that you love us so much you would die for us. That you care so much that, that there's nothing, nothing that can get in the way of your love. I pray that as we reflect upon the meaning of communion, um, you would just meet us in some real way, that we would understand and know you more and grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.